Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves. We want to see you at our Hold Fast A Day in the Word conferences happening across Canada in 2020. There will be one in Halifax on June 5th through 6th, one in Calgary November 6th through 7th, and one in Winnipeg on November 13th through 14th. Visit our website to get more details and register now. Do you feel called to lead? Then you should attend our How to Lead a Precept Upon Precept workshop at our Precept Ministries Training Center in Brantford, Ontario on December 5th through 7th. Head to our website to register now. Now, stay tuned for Unlocking the Truth in our discussion on the book of Hebrews. Hello, everyone. It's Mark Sheldrake here again on Unlocking the Truth podcast. We're working our way through the book of Hebrews. It's been an exciting couple of weeks so far, and we're on to week three, uh, specifically going to focus on chapter three this week and uh, looking forward to how the Lord is going to use this podcast. Let me pray, and then we'll get right into it. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to use this technology to work our way through the book of Hebrews. Thank you for all those listening out uh, through the internet. We thank you for those who are sending in feedback and making comments on what they're learning in, in this book of Hebrews. Father, I pray that as they study, you would show them the truth that you want them to know. So we give you this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1990, a number of years ago, there was a movie that was released to Hollywood, and the movie was called Hook. And it had Robin Williams, and it had Dustin Hoffman. It had a number of different... Julia Roberts was in that movie as well. There's a number of different characters. And I've used this illustration a number of times through um, my years in ministry, and I think it's going to set us up for where we're headed into chapter 3 this week. But there's a scene within uh, the movie Hook, and and if you want some background quickly, uh, Robin Williams plays a grown-up Peter Pan who no longer lives in Netherland, but he lives in England, and he has children, and he's married, and his children are kidnapped by Captain Hook. So he has to go back to uh, Neverland, and he has to save his children from Captain Hook. The problem is he never remembers that he is Peter Pan. And so he has to first get himself back into shape as Peter Pan, but he also has to grab that imagination back that he had when he was a child to be able to take on all the characteristics of Peter Pan. He gets to Neverland, uh, Tinkerbell brings him there, and there's uh, one scene in this that I always drive back to, and it's that moment of, you know, that kind of saying where the line is drawn in the sand. And that's the case in this movie, is that there is a guy who has filled um, Robin Williams or Peter Pan's place, and his name was Rufio. This Rufio, he takes his Uh, Peter Pan's sword, and he draws a line in the sand. And what he's saying by drawing that line in the sand is that you're either, as a part of the house of Rufio, you're with me, or you are with the house of Pan, you know, the house of Peter Pan. So you have a choice to make. Which side are you going to be on? And it creates this great debate amongst the children in this movie. You have the children 
uh, one who believes that it's Peter Pan, or it possibly could be Peter Pan, and he's in debate with the children, and he's saying, well, it could be Peter Pan. What if it is Peter Pan? What if he is just older? And he's not looking like he has the full characteristics. And as this debate is going on between who they should show their allegiance to, should they show their allegiance to the Peter Pan or Rufio, the children are running back and forth across the line. So they are running in a way that says, well, I think I'm a part of uh, the House of Pan because it sounds like it's a really good place to be. Or I'm running back to the side of Rufio because that's where I'm comfortable with and where I've been a part of for the number of years since Peter Pan left the uh, Neverland. And you see, it's that real draw of Whose house are you a part of? And that's what the author of Hebrews is bringing us to in chapter 3. So he's going to compare now, as we've already seen in the overview, we know that there's been some struggles with the Hebrew um, recipients, that some of them are shrinking back, some of them are becoming dull of hearing, some of them are in the um, within the church or within the body, but yet do not show fruit of being true Christians. And so here in this case, what the author is going to lay out is he's going to lay out the comparison now between Moses and Jesus. And so remember that one topic that works all the way through the book of Hebrews is that better than, that better better than angels, better than the covenant. He's a better high priest. He's a better mediator. He uh, brings and brings in a new covenant, a better covenant. It's better than the old covenant. And so the same can be said here with Moses and Jesus. Jesus is better than Moses. He's greater than Moses. And so I'm going to work our way through the passage here, and I want to do what good inductive Bible study students do. Good inductive Bible study students, when they're going through... Um, say the chapter, they're going to look at the key people in the chapter. In this case, the key people are Moses and Jesus. And what we would do is, as we work through the text, we would mark those um, two people, Jesus and Moses. We'd mark them distinctly different. And as we did finish the marking, we'd go back through the text and we'd start writing a list on what we learn about Moses and Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to read through the first five verses of Hebrews, and I just want you to listen for a moment at all the references to Moses. And then we'll go back and we'll compile our list on what we learn about Moses. And then we'll do the same for Jesus. We'll compile our list on Jesus and we'll see how they're different and why Jesus is greater than Moses. So it says in chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, Holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and the high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was in all his house. So if you were writing in your Bible, you might want to put a box around Moses because that's the first time that we see him. Verse 3, for he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. By just uh, just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Verse 5, a reference to Moses. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant 
before a testimony of those things which are to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence, and the and the boast of our hope is firm until the end. And so we'll go back through the text now, and we'll see everything we possibly can about Moses. And so the first thing we see in verse 2, that Moses was appointed by God to be over a house. So what we have to ask ourselves first, if we don't really know the full uh, context of the scriptures, we have to look back to who this Moses is. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 7, you can get a really great list of who Moses is all, who he is and what he's done. So I'll take you to Acts chapter 7. It was at this time that Moses was born. He was lovely in the sight of God. He was nurtured three months in his father's home. And after that, he had been set outside. Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians. He was a man of power in words and in deed. This is starting Acts chapter 7 verse 20. He was educated in the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. But when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit the brethren, the sons of Israel. When he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him. He took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptians. And he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, through Moses. But they did not understand. On the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together, and he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you injure one another? But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over sin? You do not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? At this remark, Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. After forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness at Mount Sinai in a flame of a burning thorn and bush. Verse 31, when Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and he approached to look more closely. There came the voice of the Lord. I am the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Moses shook with fear and would not venture to look, but the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place which you are standing is holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt, have heard their groans, and have come down to rescue them. Come now, and I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they disowned, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge, is the one who God sent to be both a ruler and a deliverer with the help of an angel who appeared to him in a thorn bush. The man led them out, the Israelites out, performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt, in the Red Sea, and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. This is the one who is in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angels, who was speaking to him on Mount Sinai, who was with our fathers as he received the living oracles to pass on to you. Our fathers were willing to be, unbe to, willing to be obedient to him, 
but repudiated him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us, for this Moses has led us out into the land of Egypt, and we do not know what happened. At that time they made a calf and brought a sacrifice, the idol, and they were rejoicing with the works of their hands. But God turned away and delivered to them up to the serve the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of prophets. It was not to me that you offered victims and sacrifices forty years in the wilderness, was it, O house of Israel? You also took along the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of God Rampha, the images that you made to worship. I also removed you beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of testimony in the wilderness, just as he spoke to Moses, directed him to make it according to the pattern which he had seen. And having received their own fathers, brought it with Joshua upon disposing the nations who God drove out. And so then in Acts the author continues to go through the history of Israel, but here's what we know about Moses. Moses was born. After a few days, Moses ended up living in Egypt. He grew up in Egypt. He grew up in the education of the Egyptians. There became a time in his life when he was drawn back to those of the brethren, the house of Israel. And in that time, he realized that the deliverance of Israel would come through him. God called him to lead the Egyptians out, or the Israelites out of Egypt. And so Moses did that. They wandered around the desert for 40 years. While they were in the wilderness for 40 years, God gave Moses the law on top of Mount Sinai. The Israelites took the law. They, they said that they were going to obey it and that they were going to follow it. They made a blood covenant with God to keep that. But they broke that covenant by worshiping the idol that so happened to suddenly pop out of the fire as angel as Moses was up on the mountain. Aaron formed and made this golden calf. And so what we know is that Moses was over the house of Israel. He was given the law, and he was to walk along with the Israelites and bring them into the promised land. This is the house that the book of Hebrews is talking about that Moses is over. So we also see that in verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 3, that he was also a part of the house. So he not only led the house, but he was a part of the house. He was an Israelite from the very beginning. We saw that in Acts chapter 7. In chapter 5, Moses was faithful in all his house, but he was a servant of the house. And so now that we've got a little bit of the history of who Moses is, we want to go back and we want to look at who Jesus is. And what does Hebrews chapter 3 tell us about Jesus? Well, let me read the first uh, six verses to you again. And it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just not so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. 
But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and boast of our hope firm until the end. So now what we want to do, we want to go back and we want to list out all those things that we learn about Jesus. So the first thing we see in verse 1 is that Jesus is the apostle and he is the high priest. And so if I were writing this out in a list, I'd write verse 1, and then I would put down that Jesus is the apostle and he is the high priest. We all know that an apostle is a messenger. He's sent to bring a message. If we went back to the book of Luke, we would see that Jesus' mission was to preach the kingdom of God. And so we know, even from Hebrews, if you look back to Hebrews chapter 1, what God says, the author says that God spoke long ago in the fathers and through the prophets in many portions in many ways. In these last days, he's now spoken to us in his son. So he is bringing the message, and this is the message is the gospel, and he is the apostle who does that. So this all lines up to what we've seen through the scriptures so far. We also know that he also, just like Moses, Jesus was appointed by God to care for a house. And so the same as Moses was appointed to care for a house, the same Jesus, he too is over a house. And so think back to that illustration that we started with. You have Rufio and you have Peter Pan, both responsible for a house. One was from the past, and one was for the future. And so the same is with Moses and with Jesus. Moses represents everything that comes of the Old uh, Testament, the Old Covenant of the law, and Jesus is representative of everything of the New, the New Covenant that he's going to bring through his blood. And so you've got this position right now where the author is pointing out that there are two houses. And within the two houses, you have people who are a part of the new that are almost shrinking back to the old. And they want to go back to the old house because that's where it's more comfortable. They want to go back towards the law in which that's what they know. But there's also those who are standing strong and walking firm in their faith who are a part of the house of God. They know that salvation is coming through Jesus. And so you've got this position of where the author's saying at this point, he's saying two houses, make sure you know which house you were a part of. And then he's going to tell us why the house of Jesus is better than the house of Moses. So if we look next in the line of our list, we've got in verse Three, for he was counted, so Jesus was more was counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. And so what is the author telling us here? The author is telling us that Jesus has more honor than Moses because he is the builder of the house. Moses was a part of the house, but you see Jesus in the Trinity is God. And so from Genesis chapter 1, 1, we know that from the very beginning of creation, Jesus was a part 
of that process. Colossians tells us in him and through him all things were created. And therefore, Jesus is the builder of the house and therefore has more honor than the one who is just a part of the house. Now, if you look at the next uh, verse, we have that um, it tells us that he was faithful. So Jesus was faithful in the house, but he was faithful as a son over his house. And Moses was compared to he was faithful as a servant of the house. This all again points back to Jesus being the son of God. You remember at his uh, when he was baptized, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. At the transfiguration, this is my son. Uh, listen to him according to the book of Luke. And so he is the son of God. He's a part of creation. He's a part of building the house. And therefore he has higher authority and higher standing than that of Moses. And so he is faithful as a son of God to the house. So we now have seen that Jesus plays a greater role in the house. Now we can go back through the text and what we can do is we can start to mark all the references to the we. So the people that he's writing to or the people he has things in common with and we start to create this really good list of how we ensure to know which part of the house we are in. And so let me list these things out for you as we go through. So the first thing we see is in verse 1. We see a reference to the brethren. Brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Consider Jesus. So what we have here in verse 1 says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Consider Jesus the apostle and the high priest of our confession. And so what he's saying, the author is saying here is, the, the word consider is very an, a very interesting word because, you know, I'll consider that, you know, when we put it in the English language. That's a, my father-in-law once told me at one time, he said, when people are making a suggestion and you're not sure that you are going to take that on, you say, you know, I'll take that into consideration and I'll get back to you. It's a really good term. I just had one of my staff members use that on me just a few weeks ago, and I knew who he was talking to prior to that. But the idea here that the author is saying in consider, okay, the word in the Greek, it actually means to fix your eyes upon. And so when you read this verse verse separately, when he's saying to the brethren, those who are a part of the house of Jesus, partakers of the heavenly calling, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession. And so when we write that out in our list and we look at that, he's, it's not really, hey, you know what? You should probably consider Jesus. It's no, it's fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't look to the other house. You know, the line drawn in the sand. Don't look to that other house. Keep your eyes on fixed on Jesus. You are a partaker of the heavenly calling. You are in the house of Jesus. And so that's the first thing that we would want to put on our list. The second is that we would want to see is the encouragement that comes in verse 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confident and the boast of our hope 
firm until the end. So now, going back to that illustration within the movie Hook, you've got these children who keep going back and forth over the line. You know, there's that a Christian term that we have for people that are unsure of whether they're want to be in the kingdom of God or whether they still want to be a part of the world. We call, we call them fence sitters, people who aren't sure whether they want to put both feet over the fence or they want to straddle both. This is what's happening here. He's saying, consider partakers of your calling. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Be firm to know that you are in the house of Jesus. How will we know if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Know that what this confession is, you know, he's the high priest of our confession. Know that we have confessed the Lord, that we are within the family, and we are on that side. Hold fast. Stay strong. Don't waver. Don't jump back over the fence. Don't go cross the line. Don't battle between old and new. Stick with where you have confessed. Don't fall back no matter what persevere until the end he then says in verse 12 another thing that we can add to our list take care brethren there not be any of you with an unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God but encourage one another day after day as long it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of of sin. So let's look at this kind of exhortation and command here. Take care, brethren, so ensure that you are within the house of Jesus, that you do not fall away from the living God because of an unbelieving heart, so that you really, you're still kind of working between the two houses. That's not what he's calling us to do. He's calling to take care, make sure that we are in that position. If you go with me to 2 Peter, this really brings out this idea of, well, as well, Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him, who called us by his own glory and his excellence. For by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises, that you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So listen again to what the author of Hebrews says. Therefore, holy brethren partakers of the heavenly calling. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Both are talking about the same thing, being partakers of the heavenly calling, being partakers of the precious and magnificent promises that we have. It means moving from one house to another house, moving to the house of Jesus versus in Peter, that of the world, in Hebrews, that of the law. And so we have here, if you look what he says in verse 5 of 1 Peter, now for this very reason, applying all diligence, does that sound anything like the author of Hebrews? Take care. 
You know, be diligent to be what you're doing. Take care. Pay close attention. Ensure that you are a part of that house. Now, in this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Now, listen to what he says in verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification for his sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about your calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble." For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior will be abundantly supplied to you. How do you know that you're in the house of God? How do you know that you are a part of the house of Jesus? Well, there's this list of things in 1 Peter that all bear fruit in showing with repentance. That one, you are growing in your faith. That you are growing in your moral excellence. That you are growing in knowledge. That you are able to have self-control, that you can persevere. Now, wait a minute. You pause for a minute and you say persevere. Now, this is the one that goes back to the book of Hebrews. If we can persevere until the end, we ensure that we are a part of the magnificent promises that we have. In Hebrews, he says, Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you in an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sins. For we, we believers, we who are of the house, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance full to the end. So twice in this passage, he has said, hold fast. Hold fast our confidence. The confidence is that we know without a doubt that when Jesus died on the cross, when his body was sacrificed, when his blood was shed for us, when he was buried for three days, when he was risen after those three days, when he appeared to many according to 1 Corinthians 15, that we have the confidence that in that act on the cross that our sins were forgiven once and for all, that our sins are as far as the east is to the west, as the psalmist says. And so what we know is in our confidence that when we profess that we are sinners and that we want Jesus to be the Lord over our lives, that we are willing to walk that road of repentance, that we are willing to go through the waters of baptism and identifying with our, with our Savior, that we have walked away from the past, that we have left the old house, that we have entered the new house, and we can have confidence in the work of the cross that when it was done, our sins are forgiven and we no longer face the wrath of God. This is the confidence that the author is calling us to hold on to. And how long do we have to hold on to that? to the very end. No matter what comes our way, no matter what difficulty we face, no matter what suffering we might entail for the gospel, no matter what health-related issue might come, no matter what happens within the workplace, no matter what happens within, your, within the country, no matter who governs over this country, our confession, our stance within the kingdom of God, our stance for being on the side of Jesus, we hold fast that to the end.
no matter what rocks our faith, we'll always hold fast because we're in the house of the Lord. But you notice what he says here. He tells us in a warning to be diligent to the very fact that we do not allow things to come into our lives that are going to pose questions of whether the sacrifice of Jesus really happened, whether we truly, really are saved, and the things that are going to lead us into an unbelieving heart and into the deceitful ways of sin. I mean, this is the world that we're living in right now. Determining the difference between the truth of Scripture versus the moral truth of individuals who develop new truth each and every day. And so we always have to go back to the Scriptures and to determine... Are what I'm hearing within the media, is what I'm seeing with on, within TV, on social media, what I'm hearing from individuals who might be on podcasts or YouTube videos just like what we might be offering through Precept. How do I know what those individuals are saying are true? Well, take it always back to the plumb line of God's word. Don't take any individual's advice or teaching without taking it back to the word of God yourself. And so take care to make sure that you don't fall backwards or move back towards the old house. He says, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it shall be still called today, that none of you be uh, hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance until the end. What is it said today if you hear a voice, don't, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked me when they heard, indeed, not all those who had come out of Egypt led by Moses, and with whom he was angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned whose bodies fell into the wilderness? And to whom he did not, did he did, did he swear they would not enter into his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that we are not able to enter his rest because of unbelief. You know, the most interesting thing before we wrap up today is living on this side of the cross. As good precept Bible students, as we work through the scriptures, there's been a number of times that I've sat in classes and I've even made these comments myself, especially working through the Old Testament when we studied the book of Exodus with our staff. One of the comments that I made to our, to our staff was, why don't the Israelites get it? Why can't they put it together, the fact that what God is doing for them? The very fact that God made a covenant with Abraham and all of the descendants and more than two million people came out of the exodus of Egypt. Why can't they get and see that God is at work and doing great things in their lives? And yet in the desert, these Egyptians, what they continued to say to Moses was crazy. But yet we do the same thing, don't we? Think about it this way. When Moses was in the desert and there was no water for the Israelites to drink, they begged Moses to take them back to Egypt. When there was no food for them to eat, they begged Moses to take them back to Egypt. Why? Because they had everything there. Everything was comfortable for them there. You see, living out in the desert for those Israelites was a real step of faith. Each and every morning, manna would be provided. They would collect it up for the day but there wouldn't be any on the Sabbath. You see, God was the one who was providing everything that he needed. I think that really living in the desert was faith-based 
action. They had to count on God for everything. But the reality was, it was a lot easier to move back where it was easy to get everything they needed because as slaves, they were provided their meals, their work times, their schedule, and everything. But you see what he says is, it's not good to turn back. Once you're in the house of God, remain, remain there. Hold fast to your confession. Hold fast to your faith. And he says, hold fast from the beginning until the end. Hold fast of your assurance. Know that you are a part of the house of God. So the question becomes for all those listening here, are you confident that you are a part of the house of God? Do you know by the fruit of your life that you can confidently say, yes, I'm a true child of God? That I'm not wavering between my life as a Christian, professing just with my words and not with my actions, that I am actually bearing fruit for the kingdom, that I can see God working in my life, Or am I in a struggle and I'm sitting on the fence and I'm wondering, should I really go back to the way I used to live? The way that it was easier. I never faced the suffering and persecution I did as a non-believer as I do as a Christian. Well, the call for the author of Hebrews, all throughout Hebrews as we continue to study is, don't shrink back. Don't fall away. Don't harden your heart. Listen to the voice of Jesus. And so that's the call for us, is listen to the voice who's calling you, who has called you into the family of God. Hold fast in confidence to the confession that you've made. Hold fast until the very end, and you too will be a partaker of the heavenly calling. You will be a partaker of the magnificent promises, as Peter says in his book, that we will spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you again for the time that you have given us. We thank you for the truth of your word. Oh, Father, do have the confidence to know that we are a part of the family of God. To know that by our confession and our faith in the very work that you did on the cross, that we will one day stand with you in heaven. That, Father, we will one day be kneeling at your feet and we will be singing praises to you for the work that you have done. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.